Amen. You guys ready for the word today? Oh, thank you, Colette. And I'm ready to share this thought with you today. You know, we have a lot of uh, phrases that we use around church, and oftentimes they become sometimes a little cliche, and uh, sometimes they may feel like they're from the heart. Sometimes they're not. But there's a phrase that has been used in church for, for years that has kind of been just going over and over and over in my spirit recently. And I, I finally just kind of dug in a little bit to see what I felt like God was saying to us with this thought, desperate for God. Desperate for God. Because I'm desperate for God. I'm desperate to see him do something supernatural here at Freedom Church. And I want to make it very clear what I'm, what I'm not talking about is I'm not talking about just God showing up because I believe God shows up when we praise. He inhabits the praises of his people. So I believe he's here. Uh, he shows up when two or three are gathered in his name. He's here. So I, I'm not this isn't a, uh, a statement that I'm desperate for God because he's been absent. No, he's he's present. He's here. We feel him. We experience him. We know him without a doubt, but I'm desperate for more of him. So this isn't about acquiring his presence in our life. I think those who are followers of Jesus Christ should have this heart's cry deep within inside of our soul each and every day. Desperate, it stems, uh, desperate for God, it stems from already having a relationship with him, but wanting more. I simply want more. I want more of what God has to offer. And it comes from Psalm 63, verse number one. Now, this was a cry of the psalmist David's heart. And he says this, he says, you, God, are my God, earnestly, earnestly, not passively, not if we get around to earnestly, intentionally, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So if you could even imagine for a moment what it would be like to be in a place where there is no water and you are so thirsty, you long, your whole being craves that which you cannot get hold of. That's what the psalmist David is saying there. And although this is prophetic and it's also poetic, it's very desperate. It's a desperate term. We also see this in the sons of Kor in Psalms 84. They had similar things to say. I long and I yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. So we see this not just from the writers of the Old Testament, but from men of God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We see this call to seek God, to go after him more and more and more. So what does desperation really mean? Well, if you look at the dictionary definition, the first definition would say something like this. Uh, the feeling or showing a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad, it's impossible to deal with. Well, that, we're not that type of desperate because we know God is able to do the impossible uh, in those impossible situations, right? So what are, what are we talking about? We're talking about desperation. There's another definition that says this is the desperation that we should have for God, a great need or a desire. A great need or a desire. And the reason I say this is because I think that we in America, we've been lulled into a sleep. We've been lulled into a sleep. 
And I don't think that we have the need or the desire that we really should have. Now, this isn't a condemnation message. It's not a judgment message. It's, it's simply, this is more from my own heart. I feel like it's so easy to live for Christ here in America that we have missed what it really means to be desperate. To live for Christ here, very few consequences, if any, especially here in Texas. Very few consequences. You compare the, the lifestyle of the Christ follower here in our world or in our community compared to what missionaries go through in foreign lands where the gospel is prohibited, where Christianity is outlawed and where to gather to worship could risk your life being taken, being hung, being beheaded, being killed, or your family persecuted, or your businesses burned down. We don't understand that type of desperation. We haven't experienced that here. I believe we might in the future, but we're not experiencing that right now. What am I talking about? What happens is when we don't have a desperation, it leads to apathy. It leads to complacency. It leads to spiritual death. And so without the desperation, there is a spiritual demise. There's a spiritual deterioration. And I've seen it in, a, in church. I've seen it in the body of Christ. There's a spiritual deterioration when there is no desperation. So in to, to avoid the destruction of our own faith, what we've got to do is we've got to follow in the path of the psalmist and start longing for God and crying out for God and have a heart and a flesh cry out for the living God. So how do we get there? What do, what do we do to get there? Well, we've got to be a people that don't really care what other people think. We don't really care what other people say. We don't care what, what anybody else is doing. We're not, we're not you know, testing the waters or testing the air to see which way the wind is blowing before we determine what is right and what is wrong. We are willing to be desperate for God because we know what is right. So if you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, I want to share just a little bit out of Luke 18. And I want to share with you some of the qualities of those who are desperate for God. Let me hit just five qualities real quick. Here's the quality. Quality number one, persistence. You, you're desperate for God. Well, you're going to be persistent. What I mean by that is this story in Luke 18, five talks about a widow who goes to a judge's house in the middle of the night and knocks on the door because she wants him to respond to her need. She's annoying him. He tells her it's late at night. She won't give up. She keeps knocking on the door. And because of her persistence, the judge gives her what she wants. She gets justice. He says, I'm going to do it so that she won't wear me out with her coming. Persistence. You see, the person that is desperate is persistent. They won't quit. They won't give up. The person who is not desperate, you hit a little bit of opposition. Okay, no problem. I'm not going to wear myself out doing that. We go a different direction. But that's not the heart. It's not the quality of the desperate. I'm talking about people like even Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus couldn't get to see Jesus. He was too small to see over the crowd. So what did he do? In desperation, he found a way to climb up the tree and get to see Jesus. I'm talking about people like Bartimaeus, who was blind and knew that the master was coming by. So he began to yell out, son of David, have mercy on me. And he was annoying. People were telling him to shut up, be quiet. Don't do that. Don't make a scene. But he was persistent. He kept pushing, but he was able to get the attention 
of Jesus. I'm talking about people like the woman with the issue of blood, the woman with the issue of blood. She was persistent. She kept pushing through. She had spent all her money on doctors. She had no other options left, but she pushed through and she kept pushing. And because she did, she found healing through Jesus. Persistence. How persistent are you to go after God? How persistent are you to make sure that whatever God has, you get hold of it? Or do we just say, you know, if it's convenient, I'll get there. If it's comfortable, okay. If it works in my schedule, all right. How persistent are you to pursue God, to go after God? Here's another quality is sacrifice. Remember this man had come to Jesus asking what it took to obtain eternal life. He said, keep the commands. Oh, I've done all that. What else do I got to do? Well, Jesus knew he had an issue with his wealth. So he told him, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Well, the young man was sad because he had great wealth. Now, this isn't the prerequisite for becoming a follower of Jesus, giving away all your stuff. It was the problem for this man because his stuff, his wealth was more important to him than following Jesus. But the persistent will make the sacrifice. We'll give up whatever it takes if we are really desperate. If we're desperate, then we're willing to sacrifice our wealth. We're willing to sacrifice our reputation. We're willing to sacrifice our pride. We're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes because we're not going to let anything keep us from experiencing what God has for us. The desperate for God, the desperate for his presence, the desperate for what he has, we are willing to push through and make whatever sacrifice. We'll pay whatever the price in order to experience what God has. The third quality is that they know what they want. They know what they want. The desperate know what they want. That's why they're so desperate. They're going after something that they want, something that they need. In this instance, this was the blind man, Luke 18, 41. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. He knew exactly what he wanted. How many people, if they were asked, what do you want from God? Well, I don't know. I bigger house, nicer car. Really? That, that's what you want? Uh, take away all my troubles. That's what you want. I bet if we just did man on the street and went down and asked people what they wanted, we would find out how shallow so many people really are. But what do we want? I'll tell you what I want. I want men and women of God that are so passionate about serving Jesus Christ. They'll come into this house. They'll lift their hands. They'll cry tears. They'll go after God. They'll be willing to get on their hands and knees and they'll call out to God. They're willing to pray for their family. They want to make whatever sacrifice to make sure their children are in the house of God and they're following Christ. They're going to read the word. They're going to pray. They're going to worship. They're going to give. They're going to do whatever it costs, whatever it takes in order to be what they need to be. I know what I want. I know, I know I want a church that is so hungry for God that we're more concerned about being here in his presence. I mean, we are more committed to showing up than the United States Postal Service. We're not going to let rain, sleet, or snow keep us from here. Now, now see, the, the other alternative is, oh, there's a little rain out there today. I don't want to get my suede shoes wet. No, no, that's not the desperate. That's not the desperate. Ah, the parking lot's a little crowded today. No, 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 that's not the desperate. You'll park on the street if you have to. Go park at Prestonwood and ask their shuttle to bring you down here. 
Desperate. I'm getting to the house of God. Nobody's going to stop me from getting there. See, desperate, they're, 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 they know what they want. If you're not desperate, you show up and say, oh, y'all are out of donuts and kolaches? Well, I'll go down to Starbucks and I'll have church down at Starbucks. I'm sorry, you're not desperate. That's pathetic. I'm talking about desperate. Desperate to hear from God. Desperate to know God. Desperate to experience him. Another quality is creativity. Creativity. He wanted to see Jesus, but he was too short. So what happened? He climbed up in the tree. He got creative. He didn't let his size stop him. So he ran ahead, climbed that tree. Listen, there's a whole lot of people that got creative in the Bible. When you start thinking about people who were desperate for Christ, how about the four friends who had the paralyzed friend and they took him to Jesus, but they couldn't get in through the crowd. So what did they do? They give up and quit? No, no, no. They were desperate. So they climbed up on top of the house, ripped the roof open and let him down to find Jesus. You see, when you are desperate, you'll get creative. You'll find ways to serve. You'll find ways to give. You'll find ways to pray. You'll find ways to get to church. Well, I don't have a car. Take an Uber. Get creative. I don't have any friends. Make a friend. Be a friend. What a concept. We get creative when we're desperate for God. We get creative. And here's last courage. Courage. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. She touched his cloak because she thought if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now think about the courage of this woman. This woman had an issue of blood, so she was unclean. She shouldn't have been anywhere near a crowd. But yet her courage pushed her beyond her comfort zone. And she wasn't going to let the opinion of a crowd keep her from getting her miracle. She'd already spent all her money. She didn't have any more money. She didn't know any other doctors to go to. This was her last chance. And she wasn't going to miss this chance. She was desperate. So she pushed through the crowd. And she, she, moved, she, she shouldn't have been touching a man to begin with. In that culture, a woman to touch a man was the wrong thing. But another thing, Jesus was a rabbi. She shouldn't have touched the rabbi, but she did because she was desperate. She said, I don't care what culture says. I'm going to go after my miracle. And then she touched not just his clothes, but the prayer shawl that was around him, which was a sacred piece of clothing. She touched the prayer shawl because she was desperate. But what happened? Her desperation brought her a miracle. How many people would have quit? We would have quit at the crowd. We would have quit when we ran out of money. We would have quit when somebody said, you're unclean. We would have quit when somebody said, don't touch the rabbi. Hey, don't get that close to the man. Hey, don't, don't you dare touch the prayer shawl. Many people would have quit, but not the desperate. The desperate says, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pushing. I got the courage to push through whatever opposition I come up against. And what I'm looking for here at Freedom Church, listen to me carefully. I'm looking for desperate people. People that are willing to have the courage. People that are willing to have the creativity. People that are willing to know what they want. People that are willing to persist. People that are willing to sacrifice. I want us to be a desperate people because I believe that God shows up when desperate people cry out. There's an old song that you may have grown up in church singing. We sung it a little bit around here, an old hymn called Come Thou Fount of Many Blessings, written by Robert Robertson. The chorus says this, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take it and seal it. 
seal it for thy courts above. Now, Robert Robertson, his father died when he was about eight years old. So he grew up real fast, had to become the man of the house, became an adult really quick, worked as a young child, worked as a teen, providing food for the family and taking care of his widowed mother. He encountered the Lord Jesus Christ at a George Whitfield revival and his life was turned around. He got called in the ministry and began pastoring. And this was in the 1700s. He ended up pastoring a church of over a thousand people, which was unheard of in those days. God's hand was upon his life and he penned these words, prone to wonder. I feel it. He felt this proneness to wander away from his faith. Prone to leave the God I love. Who in their right mind would say, I have this feeling, this proneness to leave the God I love. He's just being honest and he's speaking from the depths of his heart. And he says, here's my heart, Lord. Take it and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. I recognize that there's something in me that wants to wander away. There's something in me that, that wants to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord. Take it, seal it, protect it, hide it. I don't want to lose what I have in you. This is desperation. But as it turns out, what Robert Robertson was struggling with continued with him in his ministry. And years later, even after great successful ministry, this proneness to wonder caused him to leave the ministry and to walk away from God. While he was in a season of running from God, he's on a stagecoach. This is the 1700s. There were other passengers on that stagecoach. And to pass the time, one of the ladies that was a passenger began to sing just to pass time. And she sang this him. When she finished, she looked at the man sitting across the stagecoach from her and says, what do you think of the hymn? And with a quivering lip and a knot in his stomach, he said, I'm the unhappy man that penned those words. And I would give a thousand worlds if I could feel now as I felt then. I don't know that Robert Robertson ever made his way back to the Lord. I don't know the rest of that story. But I know that he obviously was being honest with his struggles of staying faithful, of staying true to God. And he pinned it in these words. And I believe that each and every one of us have this same proneness to wonder. I believe we have the same seduction, this same temptation to leave the God that we love because there's a world out there that is set on our destruction. There's an enemy that has a target on your back and is doing everything that he can to try to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God has given you and promised you. And it's not, it's not easy it's not easy to really be the desperate. But I'm going to tell you, there's a way to ensure that the desperation for God remains in your life. And as the worship team starts coming back, I'm going to tell you right now, the last portion of this message, you are not going to like.
You will not like this. I'm just going to tell you right now. What I'm getting ready to share with you, the, the key to desperation, the key, the remedy from this proneness to wonder, it's found in the word of God. And I'm going to share it with you. But you're not going to like it. And only a few of you are going to accept it and say, I want it. Bring it on. Some of you say, uh, I think I could figure out a better way. Sooner or later, you'll come back to this moment and you'll realize what I'm telling you is true. The remedy, the key for desperation to keep us from wondering, to keep us from leaving the God that we love, affliction. Oh, I can hear some of you under your breath. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Get thee behind me, Satan. I, pastor's lost his mind, his ever-loving mind. Psalms 119, verse number 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. What was David saying? David was saying, before pain, before trouble, before hardships, I would go astray. But now that I've experienced affliction, I keep your word. I stay true to your word. Now, I don't know about you. There's a difference. There's an option. There's a choice. You can have it easy. You can have it difficult. But the way I see it in the word, the easy way leads to wondering. The difficult way leads to keeping the word. He said, there's got to be another option. If I find it, I'll get back with you. But as for now, these are your options. To borrow a phrase from C.S. Lewis that he used when comforting a friend, he said, God uses affliction as a severe mercy to help keep his saints from going astray. Now listen, there's a paradox that we have that we have to try to work out in our minds. Here's the paradox that, that typically evil Evil is experienced in our lives, in our relationships, in our spiritual journey. Uh, we, we call that evil. We call that affliction. That, that's, that's bad. That's, that's the bad side of life. Bad things happen whenever we're not doing right, whenever we've made mistakes. Good prosperity comes when we make the right choices. This is kind of the way we think. We think. Bad things happen when we make wrong choices. Good things happen when we make good choices. Yet, we have a tendency to move towards God in affliction and to wander from God in prosperity. So I'm just wondering, if our rationale is right, then if we can just make everything good, if we can make everything easy, if we can make everything comfortable, then we're all going to make the right choices. But we don't. In ease and in comfort, we're prone to wonder. So here's what I want you to realize. There is some affliction. There is some trouble. There is some pain. There is some discomfort that's necessary in our lives. I wish I could stand here and tell you, I've got the key to real prosperous living. It's a 
cakewalk every day from here on out. If you'll just do this, I, I just don't know it. Because here's what the apostle Paul experienced in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, to keep him from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. He was having so many great revelations from God, but in order to keep him from being conceited about it, a thorn was given me in the flesh. And we don't know exactly what the thorn was, but we don't need to know in order to understand what the scripture is saying. A thorn we know is painful. So we know pain was given him. A messenger of Satan to harass me. That doesn't sound good. But that was given him to keep him from becoming conceited. This was the Apostle Paul. Is there anybody in here that's going to stand up and say, I'm better than the Apostle Paul. I don't need affliction. I don't need pain. I can, I can, I can get desperation another way. But yet Paul had great affliction that was intended to keep him from wondering. Who are we to think that we're any better? I heard Vody Bauckham say something just the other day that said, how arrogant are we to think that God hasn't heard us because he hasn't responded to our prayers the way we prayed and asked him to? How arrogant are we to think that, that, that hearing God hearing our prayers is dependent upon him answering the way we ask him to. He's not a vending machine. And we put a quarter in and decide, or you know, $2 in and decide, oh, which candy bar do I want? No, God is God. He hears us whether he responds in the way we want or not. We need to have an awe and a fear and a respect of God like we've never had before and realize that there may be some affliction in our life that is intended to keep us from wandering away. And you know what? We need to be okay by saying, if it keeps me from wandering, if it keeps me from falling away, then bring on the pain. Bring on the discomfort. Bring on the affliction. Oh, I know I'm not, not, some of you aren't getting this. Some of you don't want it. I, I don't want it either. But I'm just telling you, this is what the word says. Because here, look, here's the danger of prosperity. In affliction, David remained faithful. Remember when David was running from Saul? Samuel had prophesied that David was going to be the next king of Israel, but yet there was a problem. Saul was still the king. So Saul got it in his heart. If he could take David out, then he could preserve his place as king. So he's chasing David around the wilderness and as long as David was being pursued and his life was being hunted down and he was living in difficulty from cave to cave to cave, he remained faithful. At the end of the day, isn't this what we want, faithfulness? But then as soon as David gets on the king and he has everything that this world has to offer, he is the king of Israel. He sees Bathsheba and he falls. He wonders from what he knows is right. In affliction, we are more prone to remain faithful. In prosperity, we are more prone to fail. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some things that I need God to show up and provide, and it will look like prosperity in order to fulfill the vision that God has given us for this church and a vision I believe he's given me even for my own life. I need his provision. I'm not opposed to the provision and the prosperity of God, but I'm not so naive to think 
that there's not some affliction in my life that's used to keep me from wondering, to keep me from leaving the God that I love. I'm calling upon us, Freedom Church. I'm calling upon us to ask God for a spirit of desperation. See, why did David's affliction result in faithfulness and his prosperity result in sin? Because when he was desperate, David was desperate whenever Saul was afflicting him. But when David was not desperate, he was vulnerable to his own self-destructive behavior. And that's what happens with a lot of us. We become vulnerable to our own self-destructive behavior. Sometimes it's that pain, it's that discomfort that dries us right back into his presence. And so I'm saying today, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Let me just wrap this up with this. Look at the blessings of the desperate. Here's what happens. The unjust judge. Yeah, he got ticked off because the widow woman was knocking at his door in the middle of the night and wouldn't stop. But what happened? She got justice because she kept on persisting. She was desperate. The crowd, they shouted at him. They they got mad at blind Bartimaeus, but blind Bartimaeus got his eyes healed because he didn't care what the crowd said. The people in the church, the leaders, they got angry because Zacchaeus was kind of a pain, but he got what he wanted and experienced with Jesus Christ. Look at number four. The master, he may have been hindered, but the woman with the issue of blood, she got healed because she didn't care what other people thought. The roof, it may have got broken, but the paralytic got healed. He was restored. Why? Because his friends didn't stop at the first set of opposition. They kept pushing through. Listen, I'm calling on us, Freedom Church, to be more interested in the presence of God and the power of God and an experience with God than we are comfort and ease in this world. The comfort and ease that we've experienced is going to be an enemy to desperation. And desperation is a key to experiencing God.